The Gospel for this day comes from John chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? Jesus said this to test Philip, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get even a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter, Simon Peter's brother, said to Jesus, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, the same with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that Jesus had done, they began to say, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down, into the, down to the lake, got into a boat, and started across the lake to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The lake became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the lake and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. But Jesus said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the land toward which they were going. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Creator and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I sat at my desk this week trying to think about a way to invite us into the story of Jesus feeding 5,000 people by the shore of the lake. I thought about dinner parties and picnics, about the miracle of generosity, about the ordinary nature of bread and fish. I thought about the love and trust of a small child willing to offer what they had for the sake of others. I thought about God's unending determination to take what we have, even when we think it's too little, and turn it into an abundance we never thought possible. 
I find though that a lot of writing involves staring out the window. So I did that too. Only this week, instead of this quiet, lonely lawn outside, we are right outside my window, I watched two dozen fourth, fifth, and sixth graders who were at Holy Spirit for vacation Bible school and day camp this past week. I watched them play tag, laughing and running, totally undeterred by the masks that they kept on all day. I watched them form little groups and carry one kid in each group around, which I could not figure out at all until I realized they were acting out the story of the four people who brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus and lowered him through the roof of a house. No one was injured in the replay of that story. Right here on the brown grass, right in the middle of a busy city, unbothered by the noise around them and they still unusual circumstances of our lives these days. I watched the kids finally sit down, talk and listen, form and renew friendships, learn together, and just be together. It wasn't 5,000 kids and the snacks were not bread and fish, but still, out here and the great deal of grass in our place, it felt like a miracle. Today is the last Sunday that we'll be worshiping outdoors in our parking lot. After pausing in-person worship in March of 2020, we started gathering together again on June 20th for a shortened worship service of prayer and scripture and a sermon and communion. If you've ever been to our church building, you know, or you can look back there and see, that we're on a very busy corner. Even on a Sunday morning, I'd guess that several thousand cars passed through the intersection while we worship. Instead of a great deal of grass, we have a great deal of asphalt. And instead of loaves and fish, we have wafers and paper cups of wine. There are still things we miss. One day we will sing together again, but not quite yet. One day we will not have to worry about the sun shining directly into our eyes and the extremely loud motorcycles that inevitably drive by, usually during the prayers, but not quite yet. And yet somehow, that gathering in an unusual place, in an unusual way, is still enough. Right in the middle of everything, literally and figuratively, we can sit down together and join the feast. It feels like a miracle. Maybe you notice that keeping the people together, giving them a chance to rest and eat together, is what Jesus immediately wants. The disciples are less sure about that. As this story is told in the other three Gospels, they'd rather send the crowds away to find their own food than figure out how to feed this many hungry stomachs at one time. They're not wrong, exactly. In today's version that we read from the Gospel of John, Philip notices right away that he would have to work for six months to earn enough even for a little of the crowd to eat. But Jesus isn't concerned about that part. Jesus wants to feed the hungry crowd, but presumably he could have found a way to feed them while sending them home, lunch on the go. 
But it's just as important for Jesus that the crowd stays together, that they're nourished by being a community together. He sees that just as much as they need the bread and fish on their plates, they also need each other. Now, where and how that happens is less important to Jesus. Where, whatever they've got and wherever they are, that'll do. In their case, it's a grassy area and some bread and fish offered by a young child. It looks like a pretty meager offering in the middle of a busy, noisy place. But it becomes a feast, a holy feast, right in the middle of everything. The miracle in the story that gets the most attention is, of course, the multiplying of bread and fish, a banquet for thousands that began with just a little bit. We can debate whether Jesus really made something impossible happen and turned that little bit into enough plus 12 baskets of leftovers, or whether the miracle was that everyone saw this child share and so they began to reach into their own pockets and baskets and shared what they had until it turned out that there had been enough all along. I'm not sure we have to choose between the two. Both of those are pretty astounding. And I doubt it's our job to limit how God chooses to work with us and through us and for us. But this year, the miracle that catches my eye in this story is the gathering itself and the location, right in the middle of everything. There's no need to go inside or find a traditionally holy place, although that would have been nice. There's no need to have a particular menu or guest list. The description of bread in the story, barley loaves, is a Greek word that indicates really ordinary, basic, everyday bread. There is nothing fancy about it. One of my favorite liturgical prayers from our worship service begins with the words, Remind us, O God, how good you are at blessing ordinary things. And that's what this story is full of. An ordinary location, ordinary people, ordinary food, And then suddenly, right in the middle of a grassy field, is a miraculous feast. Next Sunday, we'll be moving indoors for worship, back to a space so familiar to many of us, but from which we have felt exiled for so long. And as we do get ready for that, it's worth taking note of the miraculous feasts that are happening all around us, right where we are and with what we have every single day. I think about the $50,000 raised in our congregation for COVID relief and how many families have received food cards or help with rent and utilities or the support they needed in this frightening time. I think about the $16,000 raised for Attain Housing's Stable Home Fund, which will help prevent evictions as COVID relief programs come to an end. But when I think of miraculous feasts in the middle of everything, I also think about the ways that you all have reached out to each other during all these months. Sending cards, making phone calls, teaching Zoom Sunday School and confirmation and leading small groups, 
so kids at home wouldn't feel so alone. You've prayed for each other and for our world. You showed up on our street corner to stand against racism and hatred and joined our anti-racism forum on Saturdays. You figured out how to log into online congregational meetings. And you set a feast of bread and wine, or let's face it, waffles and juice, at home so that you could hold and taste the promise Jesus made to his friends at their table. This is my body and blood given and shed for you. This is not to say that everything always turns out fine in the end. Each of us, all of us, can name the wounds we have experienced during this season, from isolation and fear to illness and exhaustion and anxiety and grief. People we love have died, and we have not been able to honor and remember them, to walk through our ancient rituals of prayer and song and story that help us begin to heal. Children have missed milestones and moments that they cannot get back. Some relationships have grown stronger, and others finally cracked apart at the seams that were always there but had stayed hidden for too long. We've been out in this grassy field for a long, long time, waiting for a feast. Waiting for a day when we could gather with others and finally sit down and eat together. But at least part of the good news of the story today is we don't actually have to wait for that feast. Jesus is preparing and serving it all the time, exactly where we are and with exactly what we have. We're often quick to assume it's not enough, not nearly enough for the aching needs of this world. And yet somehow, when our small efforts are taken into the hands and heart of God, they become more than we thought. They become enough. Enough for today, and in the words of an old hymn, bright hope for tomorrow. Even if that's in the middle of a grassy field full of elementary schoolers eating snacks and playing games. Even if it's in the middle of an asphalt parking lot, where we have found we can still tell the story and share a holy meal and even baptize even if it's at our homes and our kitchen tables with online worship on the screen, right where we are and with what we have and as we are, Jesus is setting a feast again. And there is enough for you. Thanks be to God. Amen.